Peace be with you, church. We are continuing through Galatians this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can find that on the Blue Pew Bible under your chair, the chair in front of you, on page 975. As you turn there, think about this with me. If I asked you the question, how does a person live the Christian life, what would you say? If somebody asked you, how, does Christian, how do Christians live, what would you say? Something that the Lord has been teaching me through the book of Galatians, and I pray he's been teaching you the same uh, in your time in Galatians, is how utterly dependent I am on the Spirit of God for life before God and living my life for God. By my own strength, I couldn't save myself, but a big lesson I'm learning now in this season, by my own strength, I can't live like I'm saved. Today, in many ways, uh, we'll only scratch the surface, I'm going to be honest with you, of what it means to live the Christian life, to live out the life that we've been given in Christ through His Spirit. But my hope is that you and I can take at least one step away from self-dependence and one step to spirit dependence in living the Christian life today. My encouragement is not to set such a high bar for yourself. Faithfulness is what the Lord wants from you today, so just take one faithful step with me this morning. Let's read Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 through 18 together. Follow along as I read it out loud. Paul writes this, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think the main point that we ought to consider in this text this morning is this. Walk by the Spirit because He is sufficient to both protect you from lawlessness and produce in you obedience. Walk by the Spirit because He is sufficient to both protect you from lawlessness, lawless living, living in lawlessness, and produce in you obedience, faithfulness to Christ, obeying the law of Christ. As we walk through the text this morning, I've got five points for us to consider. All of them begin with walking by the Spirit. The first one is this. Walking by the Spirit is a command. Look at verse 16 with me. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, I've talked a lot in the past about being good Bible readers, and I'm going to talk about it some more today. I'll probably never stop talking about it because... The Word of God is our authority, and if it's our authority, it's important for us to know what it says. In the Word of God, we have everything that we need for life and godliness culminating in the gospel, how to come in a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and how once now we know Jesus and we've been given life in Jesus, how now one lives in light of the gospel. How to, have a, how to have life and how to live your life, which Paul has been leading up to in his letter to the Galatians. And we've now arrived to at verse 16. What does good Bible reading have to do with this? Well, this whole section, 16 through about 24 roughly, I would contend 
has largely been misinterpreted in a lot of ways. I'm guilty of all of it. Maybe you are too. The main way that it's been misinterpreted, just to give kind of a baseline before we dig into it a little bit, is that this text, walking by the Spirit, desires of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit, has been largely interpreted through our Western lens about being about the individual Christian. Your personal struggles inside with the flesh and with the spirit, your personal struggles with sin, even down to the fruit of the spirit, which we'll see later, becoming sort of a, a measuring rod for your personal fruitfulness, like a list of commandments to check off. But the problem with this view is that Paul's been talking to the entire church community up to this point, not to individuals. Individuals, yes, but as a part of the whole. He continues to talk to the entire church community after this point and to put something that pertains just to the individual right smack dab in the middle without any introduction would be confusing at best. Again, I'm guilty of, view I'm guilty of viewing these things this way, so don't be like me. Be a good Bible reader. Being a good Bible reader means reading in the context. And when we read in context, it helps us to understand what the text is actually trying to say. And through that, what the Holy Spirit's intention is on teaching us from this letter. So one tool in our Bible reading belt is the conjunction. Didn't you ever learn that? that uh, you didn't think you'd be learning about conjunctions today in church, did you? Anybody remember that song, Conjunction Junction? What's your function? Anybody? Nobody? What's your function? Hooking up words and phrases and clauses. It's an old song. Paul starts with verse 16 with, with but, okay? That's a conjunction in the text. That connects our verse, verse 16, back to our text from last week, meaning these two texts are connected in some way, so we need to figure out what that is. But I would submit to you that in our text this morning, verse 16 through 18, Paul is responding specifically to the problem of freedom and the flesh that he just presented in 13 through 15, okay? Let's read it one more time. Look at verse 13 with me. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now pause. Remember here, freedom means you are free from slavery to the law, but that doesn't mean that you are free to do whatever you want. Living without the law doesn't mean you live lawlessly. So the answer Paul gives there is that you are free to love, and loves, love fulfills the commandments. Look at 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But, another conjunction, okay? Paul is giving a negative example. But if you don't love, you will give opportunity to the flesh, which will look like this. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. And then verse 16. But I say, it comes right on the tail end of verse 15, biting, devouring, consuming one another, the community. Paul gives them the how-to, how it is they can ensure they won't bite, they won't devour one another, to ensure they won't consume one another, how it is that they can live and their newfound freedom in Christ and give no opportunity to the flesh. How are they going to possibly do this in the church? Paul gives an imperative, a command. Walk by the Spirit. Two things I want you to see right here in this first point. First, this whole section from 13 to 24 should be read together. We should not separate it apart. It should be understood together in Paul's letter as addressing the believing community. 
The second thing, Paul's command to walk by the Spirit is a twofold solution to verse 13 through 15. How does a Christian live in freedom, i.e., love? Walk by the Spirit. How does a Christian keep the commandments and not fall into complete chaos in living lawlessly because the law is gone? Walk by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the answer to the strongest argument that the Judaizers had for their side of the fence. Jesus makes us righteous. Yeah, yeah, sure, that's totally fine. We'll give you that one. But aren't we called to live righteously? If your Christians don't keep the law, how will you know what you must do to be righteous? Paul says, you will fulfill the whole law. You will not live however the flesh wants when you walk by the Spirit. This is a command. And commands, the Lord expects us to obey. When the Lord commands you to do something, you have no other choice but to say yes. And I know how hard that struggle can be, church. Yes, but we must press it into our hearts and our minds that disobedience is not, disobedience cannot be an option for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thinking back to last week, this begins with right-ordered loves, okay? God must be our greatest love. We must love him with more than life, more than, more than anything in this world. We must love God. And when our love for God is in order, our love for our neighbor will follow suit. And when our loves together are in their proper place, obedience will come joyfully. It will come naturally. 1 John 5.3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. It's because we love God so much. And it comes naturally. It comes joyfully to obey. But to be clear, to make Paul's point with him, this commandment comes with the power to keep it. Leads us to the second point. Walking by the Spirit is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now I want to dig into that phrase just a second. Walk by or in the Spirit. What is this? mean? We'll get to the how in a few minutes. I'll give you a few points, but first, what does this mean? First, look at that word walk. This word walk can be taken as long obedience in the same direction. As one commentator puts, it was, it was commonplace for Jewish thinking on ethics. This is how Jews thought about worshiping God, about loving God, obeying God. It meant walking in God's ways, the ways of God. Now, it's interesting to bring up how the Jewish mind was at the time, about walking in the ways of God because it clicks so many things into place when we think about what the New Testament says about walking. Why would the New Testament authors use a word like walk when they talk about the Christian life? Well, it was because the predominant Jewish understanding of how one ought to live their life for God was to walk in God's ways. And we see here Paul yet again taking the words of his time, recycling them, and redefining them with Christ as the focus. How does one walk in the ways of God? Paul would say, by the Spirit of Christ. Now we find another Bible reading tool, prepositions. Prepositions matter. You didn't think you'd be having this lesson this morning. Sometimes prepositions are a bit harder to discern the meaning of, especially since defining prepositions matters. It's all dependent on the context in which you read it. But a preposition here, the word by, it matters. What is walking by the Spirit? And I think there are two plausible answers for you. One, it is by the Spirit's power that you walk. 
meaning he's the source. Second, it is in the Spirit's paths that you walk, meaning he gives the direction. And that will connect us to verse 18, led by the Spirit. But let me comment on those two things really quickly, by or in, the preposition there. First, I believe it is exegetically and theologically true that we are united by faith to Christ. Those of us who are united by faith to Christ are now commanded to walk, and we do so by the power that the Holy Spirit works in us. I say that with these texts in mind. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, for the letter, that's the law, for the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. Romans 7, 18. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Romans 8, 3 through 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sinning his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk by our strength. No who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The point here is that the law must be fulfilled. We've talked about that before. Because as a command of God, we have no other choice but to say yes and to obey. However, the problem with the law was that it supplied the command, but it did not supply the power to obey that command. This is why the letter kills and the Spirit gives life. And this is what the point that Paul is trying to make in Romans 7 and 8. Listen, he's not talking about an internal struggle that he has as a Christian between his flesh and his spirit, or the Spirit, like many, including myself, just before this week, believed. Okay, Paul is actually making an argument that before Christ and before his Spirit, sin took advantage of God's good law's commands and produced all kinds of wickedness inside him. He was enslaved. He knew the law's commands. He wanted to obey in his mind because he wanted to obey God, but the law did not give him the ability to carry it out. He did not have the power to obey. The Spirit, on the other hand, empowers us to walk in righteousness. Now, how how often do you ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to walk in righteousness with the power that you need to walk in righteousness? Do your prayers sound like that? Spirit, fill me and empower me to obey all that you've commanded me. Spirit, empower me today to love God and to love my neighbor as myself. Now, I would encourage you with the comforting reality that it is the Spirit who empowers our obedience. And he does so by faith. The second here, I also believe is exegetically and theologically true, not just the by, but the in. Those of us who are united by faith to Christ are now commanded to walk in the paths of the Holy Spirit. This largely revolves around who the Holy Spirit is. He is God. He's the Spirit of Christ. And if we're called to walk in his paths, we know that he will empower us and inform us which way that is, which way we must go. To walk by the Spirit is to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. 1 John 2, 6, By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, Jesus, 
ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, how do we know 2,000 years removed that we are walking in the same way in which Christ himself walked? We face a lot of things that Christ himself did not necessarily face in his day. How do we know that we are walking like Jesus? Well, first we know from his word how we ought to walk because that's how he walked. We learned how he walked. But what about those ways we don't know? Well, we know when we walk by the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit who empowers us to walk will direct us in the paths that Christ would walk. The Apostle John, 1 John, would call this walking in the light. Or in 2 John, walking in the truth. Thinking back to what the Apostle Paul himself says, walking by the Spirit is walking in good works, Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 4, walking in a manner worthy of which you've been called. Ephesians 5, walking in love. Colossians 2, walking in Christ. Colossians 4, walking in wisdom. 1 Thessalonians 2, walking in a manner worthy of God. These are the ways in which the Holy Spirit empowers us and the paths that he brings us in. But let's be honest. Not only do we need the power of the Holy Spirit to walk, but we really do need to know where we ought to walk, how we ought to walk. And the Spirit is the one who directs our paths. He leads us on his paths. So let me encourage you, saint, with that reality that the Lord did not give us a new commandment without the power to fulfill it. But by faith, The Lord Jesus himself resides in us by his spirit and the spirit himself empowers our walking and directs us in the ways we should go. If you don't know how to obey, you should ask the spirit. This brings us to our next point. Number three, walking by the spirit comes with promises. Still in verse 16, the latter half of 16 now, Paul writes this, walk by the Spirit, we talked about that, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I think the NASB is a little more helpful here. It says, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, I think this is more helpful because the word for desire is actually a singular word, just one desire. So let's translate it singularly. And because this verse actually connects us directly back to what Paul is trying to say in verse 14 and 15, like we've seen which is unlike what we typically do when we actually bump this verse forward to verse 19, the works of the flesh. So think again with me. What is Paul trying to say in 14 through 15? Love fulfills the law. Don't use your freedom for the flesh to bite and devour one another. Verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you won't do that. What is that? Biting and devouring is the desire of the flesh. To tear down is what the flesh desires. To seek one's own interests, not the interests of others in the community is what the flesh desires. The opportunity for the flesh in this context is the opportunity to live without the law in such a way that is lawless and do whatever you want sinfully that you desire. Your desire of the flesh is to bite and devour one another. But, Paul says, if you walk by the Spirit, you won't do that. You will love. You will not live lawlessly. I think this is what Paul is trying to say here in verse 16. So with that, I think there are two promises to those who walk by the Spirit in this phrase. The first one is negative. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. 
This doesn't mean you won't be tempted to, to, but this is a promise that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not. You will not bite and devour and consume one another. Second is positive. It's implied. Walk by the Spirit and you will carry out the desire of the Spirit. What's his desire in this context? Well, not biting and devouring and consuming. So what is it? It is building one another up, walking in love, building one another up in righteousness for the good of your neighbor, not for yourself, loving your neighbor as yourself. That's his desire. So with these two promises in mind, I want to give you a picture, okay? I want to give you a picture that I hope will, it will help you understand what's going on here. And the picture is this path that is before us. And on either side is a ditch that we want to avoid, Okay? Walking by the Spirit means we're going to carry out the desire of the Spirit. And we fall onto, if we fall onto either side of the ditch, that means we're carrying out the desire of the flesh. So walking by the Spirit's in the middle. The ditch over here on the left is defeatism. And this ditch over here is triumphalism. Defeatism is that expectation that you're always going to sin. You're never going to stop. It's that expectation or you should expect you will never be free from the temptation of your sin. It's the idea that whatever sin struggle you're facing today, you feel like you're going to have that same sin struggle for the rest of your entire life until you die. That's a ditch. Triumphalism, on the other hand, is that expectation that you will never sin. You should expect freedom from all temptation and sin whatsoever. It's that idea that whatever sin struggle you're facing today is actually a sign that you're not even a Christian. It's a sign of unbelief because a real Christian never sins again. Ditches. Both of them are forms of pride. Defeatism manifests pride in that you find yourself actually believing your sin struggle is more powerful than the transforming power of the Spirit of God in your life. Triumphalism manifests pride in that you find yourself actually believing you can live a completely sinless life by your own strength rather than the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Walking by the Spirit down that path in the middle brings with it a Christ-like humility that keeps us humble in the happy middle, okay? In terms of defeatism, coming back to the middle begins with wholeheartedly believing that the Holy Spirit alone, not you or your strength, the Holy Spirit alone has the power to completely remove any battle with temptation and sin that you face today. Hear me, you can have victory over your sin today. You can defeat your sin today. You do not have to live in your sin ever again because Jesus died and rose to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And the Spirit now lives inside of you, sanctifying you away from unrighteousness in righteousness for righteousness' sake. We wait on the hope of righteousness eagerly. You can be free today from whatever that sin is that is plaguing you. You are not defeated. In terms of triumphalism, though, coming back to the humble middle begins with wholeheartedly believing that as we live between the ages, the already of today and the not yet of the end, we will still battle against temptation and sin in our fallen bodies. We're not yet glorified. We've not yet been made perfect. So we will struggle with sin. We must recognize that we will not, we cannot be perfect on this side 
of heaven. We will inevitably sin again, but we have an advocate, Jesus. And we have his spirit who testifies that we're sons and daughters of God. Any righteousness that we're walking in is because the Holy Spirit is the one working in us, not because we're mustering enough strength and doing it ourselves. It's not because we're overcoming sin and temptation by our own strength. Jesus didn't even do that. So why should we expect that we do that? Jesus himself, even as the God-man, humbling himself, taking on the form of a servant in our flesh, tempted in the ways that we are, overcame temptation. How did he do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He lived a life of perfect obedience in reliance on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in him and working through him. And Jesus himself is our model on how to walk by the Spirit. Yes, your life, once you know Jesus, should look really different than your life before you knew Jesus. Your life should increasingly look more and more like Jesus' life. But this isn't by your own inherent goodness or your own strength. You will not be defeated. You will continue to persevere in Christ by faith. It is all because of the Spirit working in you. So let me ask you, do you ask the Holy Spirit to do that kind of work in your life? If you're not asking, whose strength are you relying on? The point Paul is making here is that the Spirit is sufficient to protect you from utter lawlessness and to produce in you obedience. Who doesn't need more of that in their life? What Christian in this room doesn't need a work of the Holy Spirit in and through them even this morning? We need the Holy Spirit. We need to walk by the Spirit because it's only when we walk by the Spirit that it's promised that we will avoid carrying out the desires of the flesh and instead carry out the desire of the Spirit. Who are you relying on for strength this morning? Have you asked the Spirit for his strength? This brings us to verse uh, point number four. Walking by the Spirit means we do what the Spirit desires. Look at verse 17 with me. Paul says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, this is where we need to focus in a little bit. The typical view of this text has been one of an internal struggle between the flesh and the Spirit of God inside me. The idea is that my flesh desires all this stuff, and the Spirit desires all this stuff, and it creates this opposing tension that puts me in either this neutral, weird state, not really knowing what to do, not frozen really, not really making any decisions, or it puts me in this position where I'm stuck and I cannot choose to do anything anything almost like when someone's in shock and you're you're trying to wave your hand in front of their face to get their attention they there's no one home but that's not what i think this text is saying as i said at the start of our time i think this is out of place to see this text this way it doesn't fit with the context i think of this passage remember the focus of paul's letter up to this point has been two things how will the law be fulfilled and how will the christian live lawfully without the law First, we know that Christ is the one who fulfilled the law in our place. And when we repent of our sin and trust in him, he gives us or he imp- 
imputes to us his righteousness and takes away our sinfulness. Jesus fulfilled the law for us and gives us that fulfillment in full as a gift by faith. But second, we now know that it's the Spirit of God living in the Christian that fulfills righteousness through us that produces righteousness in our members. What Paul has said earlier, faith working through love, love manifesting itself in a life of service to one another. Think to chapter five, verse one, Paul stressed our our freedom in Christ, but he wants to round that off with any misunderstanding here. And I think he does that in verse 17 and 18. So based on the context of the letter as a whole, and you narrow it down to the freedom discussion In chapter 5, and then here, not giving an opportunity to the flesh, what I believe Paul is saying in verse 17 is how verse 16 actually works. How can I be sure that if I walk by the Spirit, I won't carry out the desires of the flesh? And then he says this, you can be sure because the flesh desires against the Spirit completely, and the Spirit desires against the flesh completely. They are opposed to one another. So that tension, it is there in the text between the desire of the flesh, the desire of the spirit, but the point of that tension is not to describe what's happening in someone's heart every day. There is a battle with temptation. I don't want to discredit that, but that's not what Paul is trying to say here. The point of that tension he's trying to make is this last phrase, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Some of y'all relate to this. It's like two Jeeps connecting. I wonder why country folk do this kind of stuff connect their Jeeps or their trucks together by this chain or this cable, and they play tug-of-war. I don't know if you've ever seen anything like that. Maybe it's just me from where I'm from. But as they're pulling one another, what happens? They don't move. But then one starts to inevitably pull the other one to the other side, and then you win, and then it, gets, it's, it turns into a crazy thing. Somebody's hitch gets ripped off. But that's not the point. The point is when they hit, they're opposition to one another. They go in opposite directions. Either you're going to go this way or you're going to go this way. What are the things that are the desire of the flesh? Biting and devouring one another, consuming one another, living lawlessly. The law is unnecessary for the Christian life because we have the Spirit. But that does not mean, cannot mean, that we do whatever we want. Because the Spirit is the one who has desires. And it's the Spirit's desires that we abide. That we abide in, that we walk in. They desire against, they're opposed So if I was to explain this verse in a different way, I would say this. The Spirit desires to fulfill the law in you. Your flesh doesn't want that. The Spirit living in you keeps you from doing what you want. Meaning the Spirit living in you keeps you from not fulfilling the law. And this, if you think about it and pause for a second, this is a glorious truth. It means God is doing in you what you cannot do in yourself. When the Spirit of God takes residence in our hearts, we don't just do whatever we want now because we are no longer under the law. We actually do what the Spirit desires, and the Spirit desires us to walk by Him. Because if we walk by Him, we're fulfilling the law, and the law is being fulfilled in us. The law was powerless to produce in us obedience, but the Spirit is powerful to do this in us now, to conform us to Jesus, to produce in us holiness without which no one will see God, to produce in us the righteousness required to stand before our righteous God on the day we will receive judgment. And let me encourage you, church, 
I think this understanding of the text is far more comforting than my previous understanding of this text as an expectation that I will always, until I die, have this battle in my heart between sin and the Spirit. Sure, but what is this text doing for me today? What is this text assuring me of today? It's that the Spirit will win. The Spirit will win. The Spirit can and will destroy all the works of evil, all the works of darkness in my heart. The Spirit can and will cleanse every single stain in my guilty conscience or in my tainted heart or in my dirty hands. The Spirit can and will produce in me what the law requires because I am bound to the Spirit, and He to me by my faith in Jesus Christ. I trust Him by faith. He will produce love in me by faith, and through love I will serve in faith. The Spirit can and will lead me in paths of righteousness, in steadfast love, and in paths of uprightness, wisdom, in paths of life. Am I called to do this by my own strength? No. I'm called to do this as I walk by him, by his power and his past, and he will do these things for me, in me, through me, and through you. Do you believe this? Do you believe that the Spirit can do that and does do that in you? It begins with a life submitted to Christ as Lord. Have you submitted your life to Jesus? And I don't just mean made a confession of faith. What I mean is, have you submitted every bit of your life to King Jesus as Lord? Every path, every direction, every thought, every decision. Have you submitted your life to the Lordship of Jesus? Have you first confessed that the Lord is your Lord and earnestly you want to seek him, your soul thirsts for him as in a dry and weary land where there is no water? And then after you've confessed that, do you regularly put yourself in that position of submission? Jesus, you are my Lord. Help me to follow you. Help me to walk in your ways by your spirit. Church, this isn't just a one prayer kind of thing. This isn't just walk an aisle kind of thing. This isn't just, I prayed it when I was 10, and now I don't worry about it anymore. This is a regular submission to Jesus every single day. And we ought to pray this way every day. Not because you need to get saved every day but because you are reorienting your mind and your heart in the right posture before your God. Who's the Lord of your life? Jesus, not you. Who's your Savior, Redeemer, and friend? Jesus, not you. Who is with you and will never leave you nor forsake you? Jesus, not me. Who's the leader? Jesus not me. The Christian life begins and continues with submission to the lordship of Jesus in the spirit of Jesus. Who will empower my obedience to him? The Holy Spirit. Whose strength am I relying on? The Holy Spirit. Who will give me the endurance to persevere through every temptation to sin? The Holy Spirit. Who will protect me and keep me from the enemy's darts? The Holy Spirit. Who is leading me today? The Holy Spirit. If these are our prayers, there's no doubt that we will do what the Spirit desires against what the flesh 
desires. There's no doubt that we, in this case, will keep all of God's commands as we walk throughout our day in utter dependence and reliance and submission on the Holy Spirit. One commentator puts it like this, and I'm paraphrasing. There's not enough laws that God could give to account for every single situation that every person faces in all of life, but love covers every single one. Love covers every single one, and we must live lives led by the Spirit in order to live lives of love. Which brings us to verse 18, point number five. Walking by the Spirit means we are led by the Spirit. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Conjunction again, but this is Paul's final round off of his argument. This is a clarifying comment of verse 17. The spirit desires against the flesh, so you won't do what you want to do. But that also doesn't mean that you have to go back under the law. This word led by can be translated being brought in line with, almost like follow the leader. Anybody ever played that game, follow the leader? You get in a big line line of people going in a specific direction, the person in front of you, you are to keep in line with them. You're to keep in step with them. So if they go this way, you go this way. If they go this way, you go this way. And this is the idea here behind being led by the Spirit. You go where the Spirit goes. You do what the Spirit does. The verse that comes to mind when I think about this is actually when Jesus himself said in John 5, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And I would argue that the Son knew what the Father was doing because of the agency of the Holy Spirit at work and through Jesus. Remember the Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove before he went out into the wilderness in his ministry, the Spirit is the one who, who sent him into the wilderness. The Spirit is the one who was with them, performing signs, wonders, and miracles. Then from that point forward, the Spirit was the one who empowered him and directed him in his earthly ministry. We see the Trinity working in full accord in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But notice what our text is saying. It says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. I think Jesus did it perfectly. He was led by the Spirit. He did walk by the Spirit. What I'm getting at here is that living our new life in Christ is not a passive endeavor. We don't just sit around and expect the Holy Spirit to just pick us up and do a supernatural work in us without us pursuing Him. To expect the Holy Spirit without pursuing the Spirit, is presumptive and it's prideful. Spirit is God. We're called to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We're called to draw near to God and God will draw near to us. Jesus says those who seek after God will find him. Those who knock, it will be open. Those who ask, it will be given. You need to do something. Walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, involves active participation. You need to walk. You need to keep in line with, follow the leader. Have you ever spent time thinking about this? The necessity of pursuing the Spirit in order to walk by His power in His paths. 
We spend a lot of time talking about what this means. But I do want to leave you as best I can with, with a how. How do we do this? How do we walk by, keep in line with the Spirit? How do we do what the Spirit desires? And these are in no particular order. If there was an order, I would just say it's all simultaneous. There's your order. We should do all these things simultaneously. And I'm going to encourage you as well. You will feel at different points more difficulty with some of these things. But see that as a grace of God revealing weakness in your life that you can grow, that he is continuing to sanctify you and draw you closer to himself. Don't be afraid of weakness. That is okay that God reveals us our weaknesses so that we might grow in him. We need to grow because like Paul says, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So I think that you'll find your present life of walking by the Spirit will be one worth living if you live it like this. Three things. One, fill your time with prayer. Fill your time with prayer. This really is the forgotten discipline. And I think it's one of the most forsaken disciplines. Often it is the first discipline that we drop off the list when things get really busy. Who has time to pray? And that is to our complete detriment. Prayer, as the Lord Jesus has taught us, is our direct line of communication through him by the Spirit to the Father. We commune with our God when we pray. We worship our God. We enjoy our God. We make petitions to our God. The peace of God comes to us when we pray. And then on the flip side of this, on God's side, he is our father, delights in that time that we commune with him because he communes with us in special ways. He never leaves us nor forsakes us, but prayer puts us in a quiet posture where we're not only ready to give glory to him, but we're ready to receive from him as our father. Prayer postures us in the proper position to follow the spirit to keep in line with the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, you need to pray. Many of you know this from experience. Those days that start with a time of prayer or at some point continue in prayer, those are the days that that you sense you've walked with the Lord that day. You feel most satisfied those days. You've, You've had victory over sin, temptation. You've enjoyed the Lord that day. Those days that don't start with prayer, or they don't continue at some point with prayer, are typically the hardest days, aren't they? They feel impossible to get through. They feel slow. They feel difficult. You feel almost distant from God in those days. Well, my encouragement to you is to fill your time with prayer because you love God. Newsflash, he loves you, and he enjoys that time with you because you are his child. Jesus often went away to desolate places to spend time with the Father. I think the first reason he did that is because he enjoyed the Father. He loved him. And that's the same kind of love the Father has for us in Christ. If Jesus went to the Father because he needed the Father, how much more do we need to go to the Father? How much more do we need the Father if our Lord Jesus went to him? So when you go to him, when you pray, I would also encourage you to shape your prayers from a passage like this in Galatians 5, verses 15 through 18. So, so you can know what to pray for. Because let's be honest, sometimes 
We don't know what to pray for as we ought. The scriptures tell us we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But we can trust that if we don't know, the Holy Spirit's the one who's interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit of God, the, the Son of God is sitting at the right hand of the Father where he intercedes for us as our high priest. He is praying for us. We ought to pray for our needs. So I'd encourage you when you pray, pray like this. Holy Spirit, help me to walk by your power in your paths. Holy Spirit, show me those paths. What should I do here in this situation with my coworker, with my friend, with my job in order to walk by your power, to walk in your paths? I believe that the Holy Spirit will make that known to you. Holy Spirit, lead me. Keep me in line with you. Show me where it is that you're going so I can follow you. Holy Spirit, I want to do what you desire. Change my desires so that I can do that willingly. Have you ever prayed like this? If little to never, then you know that one step that you can start taking today. Maybe more often than not, you pray like this. Well, hey, then you know that next step to take is to keep doing it. Keep seeking after him. The second thing, fill your mind with the word. Fill your time with prayer. Fill your mind with the word. This is first and foremost the means that the Holy Spirit uses to communicate his truth to us. It is our authority. It has been written and preserved by the Holy Spirit himself for our good. So fill your mind with the word of God by reading it, studying it, memorizing it, meditating on it, and applying it to your life. As you fill your mind with scripture, you are creating a canvas with raw material that the Holy Spirit can now use to paint a beautiful picture by his power, with his direction. Without that canvas, without those raw materials, you may not know what he desires. If you fill your mind with the word, you are providing the raw materials in your mind and your heart for the spirit by his power to take you and work righteousness in you and through you to keep you in his way. You're providing the raw materials from the word of God for the spirit to then take the word and bring to mind. Anybody ever had this happen? That verse that you needed at just the right time came to mind. You think that's by your own strength or volition? It's because you have a comforter. You have a helper. And he reminds you of the words of God. That's the spirit bringing to remembrance the scriptures and, and ministering personally to you in a way that you need it as a child of God. And that's so encouraging. If you want more of that, be filling your mind with his word. Also in the word, you may not find all your answers to everything. You don't. The Bible is sufficient, but it's not efficient for every single thing in the world, like mathematics. There might be math in there, but that doesn't mean it's a math textbook, right? The Bible is sufficient, but you may not find your answer specifically that you need on how you're to walk in righteousness. But again, same idea. If you're filling your mind with God's word, the spirit-inspired, God-breathed word, the Holy Spirit himself will take that word and lead you and guide you in paths of righteousness. Maybe even giving you how to respond to that neighbor in the moment or how to make that decision that you've been needing to make or, or what decision with a job or a place to go or a place to stay or, or whether or not you should, you should pray for your waiter or your waitress at the table. God cares about the details of your life. The Holy Spirit will guide you even in the mundane of the day today as you seek to be faithful to him. You learn to recognize his voice as you pray and fill your mind with the scriptures. This also helps you to discern what the voice of the enemy or the flesh sounds like when, when he's accusing you or condemning you in your mind. That's not the spirit, brother or sister. 
The Spirit looks on you and says, redeemed, child, forgiven, new, loved. He does not condemn or, or confuse or accuse. So you can tell them to leave. And as the Spirit reminds you who you are in Christ and as you continue walking by the Spirit's power. And the third thing, fill your life with obedience. Fill your life with prayer. Fill your time with prayer. Fill your mind with the word. Fill your life with obedience. Romans 4.12 says, those who walk in the footsteps of faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7, walk by faith, not by sight. Obedience begins and continues by faith. So make every effort to cultivate your faith, to increase, to grow your faith in the Lord Jesus and the power at work in us by his Holy Spirit. If you're growing in your faith, you will grow in obedience. Put your eyes on Christ and you will increase in obedience. Depend on the Spirit and you will increase in obedience. So my final encouragement to you this morning is to cultivate a rhythm of walking by the Spirit. Cultivate a rhythm. It takes practice. Learn how to walk by the Spirit. Grow by practicing walking by the Spirit. Utter dependence and submission on Him at work in your life through focused prayers and intentionally filling your mind with the Scriptures and obeying Him. Because remember who leads? The Spirit. And where does He lead us? In the footsteps of Jesus. Let's pray.